So turn with me, please, in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. I'm tempted to ask who has a Bible with them here today, but I won't put anybody on the spot. But we are here all the same to read the Bible and to study the Bible. And our text today is 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And uh, have it up on the screen. We can read it together. And then we'll go down and uh, see what the Lord has for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, the first 11 verses. But I determined this within myself, that I would not come again to you in sorrow. For if I make you sorrowful, then who is he who makes me glad but the one who is made sorrowful by me? And I wrote this very thing to you, lest when I came, I should have sorrow over those from whom I ought to have joy, having confidence in you all that my joy is the joy of you all. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. But if anyone has caused grief, he has not grieved me, but all of you to some extent, not to be too severe, this punishment, which was inflicted by the majority, is sufficient for such a man, so that, on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. For to this end, I also wrote that I might put you to the test, whether you are obedient in all things. Now whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For indeed, I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we're not ignorant of his devices. So, here's a little outline of what we're going to look at today from our text. We're going to, we're going to consider this notion of emotions. I was struck in reading the text how Paul talks about joy, talks about sorrow, talks about anguish in his heart. And here we see a man who had emotions. We're going to think about that a little bit. We're going to think about church discipline a little bit because this is the context of the passage. And then we're going to think about restoration. And we're going to think as well about Satan's devices. And in this instance, we'll be withholding forgiveness. So that's our, our plan today. We're studying we're continuing our study on 2 Corinthians, in which the Apostle Paul explains his action to the church at Corinth. And um, for those of you who are, some of you are new to the Bible, some of you have been studying it for many years, and so I'm just going to give a little bit of context for those of you who are perhaps new to the Bible. Let's say you probably know about the 12 Apostles, right, who were around the time of Jesus. And God wrote to them, and God spoke through them, rather, and they wrote. And the Apostle Paul was not part of the Twelve, but he was called by Christ later. He persecuted the church, as a matter of fact. He was a very religious man, a Jewish man, and he thought he was serving God by persecuting the church. But he was not part of the Twelve. But God stopped him on the road to, the, to Damascus one day when he was on a trip to persecute Christians. And, and Paul had a vision of Christ and saw Christ. And Christ said, why, what are you, why are you persecuting me? 
And so the lesson there was even in persecuting the church, he was persecuting Christ. And, and Paul uh, accepted the Lord and gave his life over to the Lord Jesus. That he had a time where he spent a long time, uh, many years in fellowship with the Lord, and the Lord revealed a number of things to him. And, and then the Lord sent him on his way as an apostle to preach to the Gentiles. We've been studying this actually in Galatians. So we're, we're going through these, we do these book studies because we look at passages that we might not otherwise look at. And sometimes they have some uh, low-lying fruit. You can just pick them out and you enjoy the verse. But other times there's verses in there that perhaps we wouldn't, wouldn't look at. It's kind of like your eating habits, right? We tend to eat the same thing all the time and we miss out on all those great vitamins and stuff if we ate other things. But So we're looking at this passage and we're looking at uh, what the passage is going to say to us because it's all there for a reason. Now, we're going to start out by looking at this topic about emotions. You say, Brian, what does that have to do with anything? And uh, it struck me that in looking at these first few verses, you can look at them. He says, I don't want to come in sorrow. I don't want to. You're the, you're the people who make me joy. This is, thank you for that introduction, Rennie, is about the one and others. He says, you guys, if you're not happy with me, I'm in trouble. You're my joy. And he speaks to them and he says, we have to be good with each other. Otherwise, you know, I'm going to be sad. And so on. I, you know, I, you can't make me sad. You're, you're my joy. It's like his children, right? His spiritual children. And so we see here in the Apostle Paul, we, what struck me is that this dear man has feelings. You might say, well, isn't that something good? It, it is good. But I think of Paul as a great theologian. I think of him as the great missionary. But he is also very... He was a very, uh, I'm not going to say touchy-feely sort of guy, but he really was sympathetic to people's feelings, and he had feelings himself. I want us to look, before we look into our passage, I want us to look at, uh, I want us to look at Galatians chapter 2. Maybe if, Here we are. Because I don't want you to misinterpret what I'm saying here. We're going to look at an aspect of the Apostle Paul's character, but we're not glorifying the Apostle Paul, right? We're glorifying Christ. It's Christ in him. And I believe we'll be looking at this chapter on Tuesday night, chapter 2 of Galatians. And we read this. This is a nice key verse in Galatians chapter 2. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is a wonderful verse that explains the dynamic of Christ in us and our old nature. So when we say we ought to you know, follow the example of the Apostle Paul and have emotions and feelings like him, we're not glorifying the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul would, 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 would be uh, very upset with us if we did that. We're glorifying the work of Christ in the Apostle Paul. Remember last week, Keith led us in a nice little study about boasting. There's the good boasting and the bad boasting, right? We can boast of what God has done. and We boast in the work of the Lord. We rejoice in the work of the Lord. We rejoice in our brothers and sisters and how the Lord has changed their lives, but we don't glorify in ourselves, right? So we're going to look at this aspect of the Apostle Paul's character, but let's 
let's put things in context. We're not glorifying Paul. We don't want to glorify ourselves. We're glorifying Christ in Paul. And that's what we can do too. As a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 29, we read this, that no flesh should glory in his presence. And to the degree that we glorify or idolize people, even Christian people, to that degree, the presence of the God says, well, I'm not going to compete with that. I'm just going to go over here to the side. <laughs> we have to glorify the Lord. And if in our thinking we're glorifying someone, uh, the Lord says, fine, I'll just move over here. And you can glorify him and idolize him. And that's what you get. But no presence, no flesh can glory in his presence. So we're here to glorify the Lord Jesus. Let's make it clear. So let's move on to our verses here in our chapter, verses 1 to 4. And as I was meditating on this chapter, I was thinking about it. And I said, you know, I'm familiar with, with the Apostle Paul with his, he was pretty knowledgeable by the grace of God, right? He wrote Romans, he wrote Ephesians, he wrote... He was a great debater. He was always interacting with kings and governors and philosophers. And God had gifted him to be a great intellect. And we know that. We're also familiar with his strong will and his determination, right? He, if you want to really get a page turner, go up to Acts 13 and 14, the first missionary journey. When Paul and Barnabas, they went and they preached the gospel. And they would go into a city and they go to the synagogue People would get saved, and then guess what? There'd be a little bit of opposition come up, and next thing you know, they were stoning Paul, and he was, they were lying for dead. And then Paul kind of gets up and shakes the dust off and says to Barnabas, that was fun, wasn't it? You know, and then, then they go on to the next city, and they, the same thing happens. He preaches the gospel, persecution, he gets beat up and left for dead, and then they get up and they go again. And God keeps blessing him and blessing him, and he keeps getting persecuted. No complaints. He says, uh, "It's an honor for me to suffer for the Lord Jesus Christ." He wasn't just a he wasn't just a sunny day, easygoing Christian. Let's hope everything goes well for me. No. And when he says he fought the good fight and he finished the course, well, he had a course to run. Not everybody could do it. He did it by the grace of God. He was, he had a will. He was an indomitable will by the grace of God, and he finished the course, and he preached the gospel, and it wasn't easy even for one day, but he did it. But here we see that he also had, he had feelings by the grace of God. He says, I don't want to come to you in sorrow. I need you to give me joy. And he shares his feelings with his listeners, and he's telling them that he needed them. He needed, he needed to be happy. He needed to be in a good relationship with them. And there are some other references to, to Paul's deep feelings in Acts. In 1 Thessalonians 2.20, I think we looked at this last week, he says, you are my glory and my joy. It's like it was his children. And they were, in fact, his spiritual children. So when he gets to applying discipline, he said he did it with much anguish of heart. He did it in tears. And he did not apply this discipline to this brother who was, had problems in a heartless way. It hurt the Apostle Paul. He wasn't a hard, overbearing uh, disciplinarian with a, with a rod. He was a very gentle, sensitive man by the grace of God, to the glory of God. 
And he was very sensitive. So there are a lot of good lessons for us as Christians here. It's okay to have feelings. It's okay to demonstrate them. The Holy Spirit produced emotions and feelings in the Apostle Paul of all people, right? And he wasn't a wimp, <laughs> but he had feelings, and he was sensitive and he was gentle. And I'd suggest to you that there are some situations where it's particularly important to, be, to have feelings, to have gentleness. And I would say notably in the, in the area of church discipline, right? Or even when we're called to correct or discipline something. Maybe you can think back of different um, situations in your life when you've been corrected. And it was sort of how the person did it was pretty important to you at the time, right? Nobody likes to get corrected. I can think of a lot of them. I won't share them with you now. When, when the folk did it nicely, it was okay. When they didn't, it was difficult. But there you go. The fact is, it's important how we do things. And you'll recall in 1 Corinthians 13 that Paul himself says, if we do anything without love, it's useless, right? He says it's not worth doing. So that, that demonstrates the principle of telling the truth in love. And we ought to be, we ought to be tender-hearted towards one another at all times. And including if and when we're in a situation of applying discipline. So <clears throat> this is a lifestyle, right? We can't just turn it on and turn it off. And it's part of our life with the Lord, right? Perhaps there's a temptation to be hard-hearted when we have to be firm, when we have to stand up to things. So how do we become tender-hearted? We become tender-hearted by following the Lord, obviously. The Lord was tender-hearted. In Luke 4, verse 18, we read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, speaking of the Lord Jesus, to do what? To heal the brokenhearted. Do you think brokenhearted people were, felt good around the Lord Jesus? I'm sure they did. Because his mission was to heal the brokenhearted. The Spirit of the Lord has anointed the Lord Jesus to minister to the brokenhearted and, and all sorts of people. But the Lord was sensitive to others. And if we walk in the Holy Spirit, we too will develop that sensitivity. And part of our role as Christians is to learn what is of the Spirit of God and what is of the flesh, right? Being gentle towards others, being firm, but being gentle is part of the Holy Spirit. I want to just read from Psalm, I'll just read it for you, Psalm 115. Psalm 115, verses 3 to 8. We read this, their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Speaking of idols, noses they have, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not handle. Feet, but they have, but they do not walk. Nor do they mutter through their throat. Those who make them are like them. So is everyone who trusts in them. So if we want to follow an idol, that's our choice. We're free. But guess what? We're going to become like our idol. We're going to become like our idol. There's a cost to following idols. There's a cost to not following the Lord Jesus. We're going to become like our idol, and it'll just be, we'll become dumb like our idols are. So <clears throat> emotions. The Apostle Paul demonstrated them through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And as we seek to discern the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, this is a good example for us. And as we were reading this morning already, Paul depended on the body of Christ for his well-being. He was not a lone ranger. He wasn't out sort of out there somewhere and just kind of came in and went out. And, no, he was like this with the body of Christ. And if they were sad, he was sad. They were happy, he was happy. Uh, and they depended on each other. And we need one another. I think Rennie was inspired as he put that thing together. We need one another. We need to be on good terms with one another. We can't just turn our backs on one another and say we're just going to go our own way. That's not how Christ did it. That's not how the Apostle Paul did it. And uh, we are connected with each other. So something to keep in mind. Church discipline. Moving on to our next little topic here. Church discipline, the context of this passage is there was a man who had been disciplined by the church. And we, I think he's, most people think he's the same person that it was in 1 Corinthians. And we're going to look at Matthew chapter 18 to just get a little background on as to what is church discipline. So th this person in 1 Corinthians, we read about, he was committing sexual morality and he didn't recognize his error. Therefore, the church actually had to expel him so that he would come to his senses. He wasn't thinking. He wasn't reasoning. They couldn't reason with him. He wasn't listening to anybody. And the church had to expel the, him from their fellowship because he was dishonoring himself and the Lord, and he wasn't listening. So in Matthew 18, I'm just going to read uh, Matthew 18, 15 to 20, we get the process. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you've gained your brother. So that's kind of how we solve problems in the church. If somebody's doing something they shouldn't be doing, oh, talk to him, say, you know, do you ever think about this? And, you know, if he listens, we're good. If he doesn't listen and he's doing something or he or she's doing something they shouldn't, then it says, if you will not hear, take with you one or more that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. You know, when we see somebody doing a sin or something wrong, maybe we're mistaken. Maybe we didn't understand right, and that happens all the time. It happens to me often. But take somebody else. And, and somebody else, okay, we'll, we'll go and talk. And, and But if he refuses to hear them, it says tell the whole church. So the, the circle gets wider if the person isn't reasonable, isn't going to, isn't going to listen or or admit that he did wrong. And then the church has to say, well, you, you can't be part of the fellowship. There is a discipline in the fellowship, and we're going to, um, you have to leave the fellowship. And that's part of the, that's, if you've read our little brochure about church fellowship, you'll see there's a little blurb in there about church discipline. And if push comes to shove, that could happen. It doesn't happen that often at all, thankfully, but that could happen. And then he goes on in verse 18, he says, Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask will be done for them by my Father in heaven, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of, you, of them. Sorry. So we, we note the progress, the, the, the process. Someone sins. We go and talk with them. 
If they understand it, that's good. In Galatians 6, verse 1, we read, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself that you also be tempted. If he hears you, you've gained your brother. If he doesn't, then uh, you take it to the larger group. So, and at that point, the brother or sister gets has, has to leave. Why is it necessary? Well, it's done so that the person will recognize their error. Someone who doesn't recognize their error is someone who's deceived by sin. We say, you know, you often say, well, what was he thinking? Well, he wasn't thinking, right? That's the answer. And they don't recognize their error. Someone is deceived. He's insensitive to the Holy Spirit and to others. There's no response, no communication. So typically, he'll follow the well-known routine, deny any wrongdoing, and blame others, right? And we have an, but we have an example of uh, the story of the prodigal son. Remember, he left on his own volition. And things went poorly for him. They went so poorly for him that it's a nice little verse in there. It says at one point that he came to his senses, right? Sometimes when we're isolated and alone, we can come to our senses, and that's what happened to the prodigal son, and that's what happens, hopefully, to someone who's disciplined um, by the church. This person had heard of others. It says in, uh, what verse are we here? Uh, verse 5, but if anyone has caused grief, he's not grieved me, but all of you. See, the person who sins grieves the church. He hurts the church. And the apostle reminds us that when this person, what he did, he, he hurt others. And this is why we have to get his attention. The whole church had been hurt. And we can understand that when somebody, and particularly a church leader, falls into some grave sin, such as sexual immorality, well, guess what? It discourages the whole church. And it sends a shockwave to the church. So there's other reasons, too. In 1 Corinthians 5, Paul says, look, discipline the man because a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And a bad example uh, leads others to sin. So there, 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 there's, a, there's an effect, a growing effect. So that's why church leadership in church, we have to um, make sure that we're walking uh, in a way that's glorifying to the Lord. And you know what? It's just as easy to just close a blind eye and let things go on. You know? But in John chapter 10, verse 11 to 14, that described the good shepherd, he, he, he talks about the shepherd. He says he doesn't flee when danger comes because he's not a hireling. The hired hand won't make an effort when needed. He doesn't care about the sheep, really. The apostle Paul cared about the sheep. You know, he wasn't afraid to have a difficult conversation because he wasn't a hireling. He was called by God. And he did it for their good, even though it was difficult for him. And he says he was in anguish applying his discipline. It hurt him. But the church discipline, it's a spiritual reality. Because people could say, fine, you can't fire me. I quit. Goodbye. That happens in North America. We have so many churches. But the fact of the matter is, even if the person doesn't recognize it, it's still a spiritual reality, if the, especially if the leaders and the elders in the church are spiritual, that is done in the heavenlies. And it won't be undone until the person 
um, confesses his sins and comes back. So whether the person recognizes it or whether other churches recognize it, it's inconsequential to the, in the sense that it, it's done. It's a spiritual reality. It should be recognized. If it isn't, well, it doesn't change the reality of it. So we get down to this other thing we want to look at, and that is, so we've gone through that, sorry. Restoration, verses 6 to 10. This is the, the part about this passage that is interesting for us. He says, this punishment was inflicted by the majority. Verse 6. You know, when he says the majority, it shows that the decision was not unanimous. There were still those in Corinth who maybe they, they didn't agree with Paul. They didn't agree with the discipline. And his, his, his authority, even in such a case of glaring weakness. We don't know the identity of the person disciplined, right? Maybe, maybe he was a very charming man. Maybe he had a high social standing. Maybe he was wealthy. Probably had family. Probably had brothers and sisters. No, we don't, we don't go along with that. You know, you can't do that to him, and so on. I mean, we, we can read between the lines a little bit because this people aren't objects, right? So it was probably, probably wasn't easy for anybody and all that. But the Apostle Paul he probably got word from Titus that the man had, had repented, the man was in a good spot, and so he says, look, we need to forgive this man now. You ought, verse 7, you ought to forgive and to comfort him lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. The whole point of, of church discipline is so that the person will come back. This person was ready to come back. He had repented. He was good. And Paul says, okay, now we're done with the discipline. We need to receive him back publicly, like he was disciplined. Receive him back and forgive him and comfort him. And this is, this is very wonderful because this is the point of discipline. And he comes back, and he's, been, he's forgiven. And Paul says, look, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. Verse 8, for to this end I also wrote that you might put, and he says, I, I wrote this to you, and I want you to follow it. Because whom you've forgiven anything, I also forgive. So he's asked to reaffirm his love to him. And this is the great news of the gospel that uh, we're all here by the grace of God, right? We're all sinners. We've all been forgiven. None of us deserve anything else but um, <clears throat> bad news. And we're all here because we've been forgiven in Christ. So forgiveness is the heart of the gospel. And we're all forgiven here. We can all be forgiven. So we cannot withhold forgiveness. Right? There's wisdom in applying it. Because we can't just say, oh, it doesn't matter. Right? So when it... When, 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 but when someone confesses their sin, we have this nice verse, a key verse in 1 John 1, 9. We confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the heart of the gospel, forgiveness. And confession means true repentance, acknowledging that we've sinned against God, against others. If we don't really believe that we have sinned and that the judgment was wrong, then we won't experience forgiveness. It's not a mechanical thing, right? But this is what Paul is saying to the believers at Corinth now. Okay, now it's time to change gears. Now we have to make sure we follow through and we forgive the man because he's ready to be forgiven. 
We have to bring them back in. And that's what, uh, that's what God's will is for us uh, as well. Now, I'm intrigued by this little phrase here in verse 11. Lest Satan take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. No. Am I ignorant of Satan's devices? <laughs> he says, we're not ignorant of his devices. What are some of Satan's devices? Well, I was thinking of doubt. I might have mentioned this before. Doubt. Remember in the Garden of Eden, in Satan's conversation with Eve, Satan cast doubt on God's character. He's cast doubt on God's word. Doubt is one of Satan's devices. Uh, in this instance, Satan's device, I suggest to you, is withholding forgiveness. Withholding forgiveness is what Satan wants us to do. And in Hebrews 12, 14, and 15, we read this, Pursue peace of all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. So you see, uh, withholding forgiveness, bitterness, it's infectious, or contagious rather. It, it can defile people around. And... Um, because forgiveness is foundational to our faith and our practice. Bitterness, so we're not talking about church discipline here, we're talking about interpersonal relationships. Bitterness can destroy relationships and infect people. Just like, you know, any sort of bacteria or virus. So on an interpersonal basis, there's a lesson for us here, all of this, that uh, we need to make sure that we're walking in a spirit of forgiveness towards everybody. You would say, you say, well, there's this person that I have a hard time forgiving, but they're not repentant. They don't, they're not interested in my forgiveness, but we should also, we should offer forgiveness, have an attitude to forgiveness. Even though we might not be able to reconcile, we should have a forgiving heart, I suggest to you. The Lord on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That was his attitude. Did they all repent, the people around? Probably not, all of them. Stephen, when he was being martyred, right? He, he called on God and he said, he knelt down, this is while they were stoning him, and he said, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. He had a heart of forgiveness. Did these people enter into that forgiveness? Some of them probably. So we need to make sure that we do not have unforgiveness in our heart. It's kind of a side lesson for us all. And of course, in the church, when it comes to a case of church discipline, we're here on the basis of forgiveness. And we can be thankful for that. So we ought all of us to have a spirit of forgiveness towards everybody at all times. Because we're forgiven, right? The Lord's Prayer. Lord, forgive. I forget how it goes exactly. Lord, forgive us as we forgive those who trespass against us, right? So God has blessed us. This is one of the blessed things of the gospel, right? One of those truths that we rejoice in, and that is uh, at the heart of the gospel, and that is forgiveness, forgiveness. I hope and I trust that each of us here today are enjoying the fruit of forgiveness in our own hearts and towards people. Think about it. Let the Lord inspect your heart, and you, maybe there's someone who's done you wrong and done you wrong repeatedly, and you see so you... 
not ready to forgive him or her. Well, give it to God and forgive. Don't get, don't be unaware of Satan's devices. Satan would like to keep you in a spirit of unforgiveness. Like to make, keep you bitter, keep you mad. <laughs> no, no, no. Let, let the Lord be the Lord of your emotions. Let the Lord be the Lord of your heart. You can forgive. Let God deal with the person who's wronged you. Maybe there'll be a time when you can talk and so on, but I think you get my point. Have a heart of forgiveness. We're called to have a heart of forgiveness towards everybody at all times, right? Now, in this instance of church discipline, they were called to put it into practice as a group because the person had repented, and, and at this point in time, they were called to publicly forgive him and bring him back into the fold. And it was forgiven and forgotten. So <clears throat> there's great lessons, I find, in all these passages that we're going to look at. Maybe this was not a go-to passage for you, but as we look at these passages, we find truths that are that are wonderful for each of us. May God bless his word to our heart, to our hearts. The Lord's grace was evidenced in Paul's life once again through his display of tenderness and emotions. And to the glory of God, not to the glory of Paul, may we have feelings and emotions and gentleness towards everybody for his glory. Church discipline is necessary to protect the flock and help bring the person in question to repentance. Restoration is the goal of all church discipline. We should pray to that end. And forgiveness is fundamental to our faith and our practice. May we enjoy it and spread it. Blessed God, Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ. We're thankful for the forgiveness of sins. We're thankful that our sins have been forgiven. We pray that we might, by your grace, be forgiving. And Lord, we pray as well that you'll help us to have feelings and uh, help us to express them, help us to be gentle and help us to recognize that this is from your Holy Spirit. This is the way you are. This is where the Lord Jesus was here to, here to heal the broken heart. And perhaps we're not like that by nature. Well, we're not. You can work that in our hearts. You worked it in the heart of the Apostle Paul who, before he came to know you, was a hard man. We're thankful for the work that you do in our own hearts and in one another. We glory in that. We can even boast in that because you are a wonderful Savior. And we want to give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.